Hi, everybody. My name is Peter Diamandis. I'm here with my dear friend, Dan Sullivan, and this is Exponential Wisdom. On this episode, uh, Dan and I are talking about a subject near and dear to both of our hearts, and it's human longevity. And we've had a session talking about my company, Human Longevity, and, you know, sort of the crazy expectations and vision and work I'm doing to create a multi-hundred-year lifespan for myself. But what I find pretty amazing, Dan, is that before I met you and brought you into my life as my coach, it turned out you had set a target of a 156-year lifespan. Very non-traditional, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know very mm -hmm. few people who have talked about, yes, I'm definitely living to over 100, 156. Mm -hmm. So in this session, I'd like to talk about how did you set that goal? Mm -hmm. And how do you think people should set their goal? Well, first of all, Peter, I create a book every quarter, and I was thinking about the topic of my next book. I have one coming out in September, but the next book is called My Plan for Living to 156, and it's kind of an odd number, so people say, 156, <laughs> why 156? And I came up with this 29 years ago, and I was just thinking one afternoon, you know, about longevity, and I said, you know, everybody sort of leaves this open and indetermined how long they're going to live. You know, they don't put a number on it. And yet, in every other part of their life, they would have a goal, but they don't do it with the length of their lifetime. And I said, why don't we, you know, before the end of the afternoon, why don't I just come up with a number? And the number 156 came from two different kinds of thinking. Number one, I was born in 1944. So a lot of years in the 20th century, so 56 of them. But I've always had a goal of actually living through a complete century on the calendar. I missed the 20th century, so it would have to be the 21st century. So I just added 100 to the 56. So it takes me up to the end of the year 2100. And I kept it to myself probably for a year, and I just played with this number. But then I said, you know, I think other people would get some value out of just having some outrageous statement like this in conventional terms. And I started talking to people about it. And it's been a nonstop discussion with my entrepreneurial clients and strategic coach for the better part of 28 years. And one of the things, Peter, is that we actually have an exercise in the program where I get people to actually put a date on their exit date. <laughs> What's really interesting, it changes their lives instantly. We can go into that. But having this number actually changes the way you go about living in the present. I find if you got a clear handle on the end of your life, then you can reverse engineer back to where you are now. And it totally changes how you conduct yourself in the present. Absolutely. So it's interesting, right? And I I set a ridiculous number when I was in medical school when I realized mm -hmm. I think of the body as a, a machinery and software that over time starts to erode, degrade, and the fact that we're gaining the technology to rewrite the software, you know, the whole CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing revolution that's occurred in the last just two, three years, and then the whole mechanics of it through stem cells. So. You know, my question for you, pal, is when the year it's 2100 and you're 156, how are you going to feel about expiring in that year? <laughs> you know, this is negotiable. <laughs> Some people said, well, 
Dan, I just think you're setting yourself up for disappointment. I said, not me. I said, you know, if I exit early, it's somebody else's problem. It's not my problem, you know. But the big thing is, one thing I want to say about this, both with your date, by the way, is it 700 years or is it 701 or 695? I picked a number of 700-year lifespan when I was in medical school. I was Mm -hmm. in my classes and I was was watching it a show on sea life and it talked about whales living to multi-hundred years and Mm -hmm. the theoretical limit of sea turtles being as long as 700 years and it was like you know if i'm going to set a goal why not life's actually demonstrated the ability Mm -hmm. to have that and so it's a ridiculous number in that anybody who can live today anybody who's alive in the year 2016 2017 who can live another 100 years you will have an indefinite lifespan. Mm -hmm. When we were together with our dear friend Ray Kurzweil last year at at Abundance 360, the notion is kids born today should have the ability to have an indefinite lifespan. So how long do you want to live, barring accidents, Mm -hmm. disasters, Mm -hmm. things like Mm -hmm. that? So, you know, I use 700 and I speak it proudly and people think I'm crazy, but, you know, it's no more crazy than any other number. What I find reassuring about your goal, Peter, is that there will be someone I know today who will be alive for my funeral. (laughs) But just going back to your, this goes back to college days. So when did you notice that this goal of yours was allowing you to think differently about, first of all, you're a doctor, so you have an inside view on what's possible and, and where new things are actually happening So when did you notice that having this 700 view actually started to transform just how you looked at the world, what was happening in the world? Yeah, so it's been stronger and stronger over time. Mm -hmm. And I would say it's the last decade, I'm 55 now, it's the last decade, definitely when I hit 50, you know, my birthday cake said 50 down, 650 to go. Uh, (laughs) And... It's that notion, you know, I'm going to talk in a second about what you're doing to shoot for your 156-year lifespan. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the most important elements that I think people should think about is, first of all, I think attitude is one of the strongest things. You know, there's this amazing correlation between when people retire and then their death. It's like mm-hmm. when you give up on life you actually sort of have a self-defeatist attitude, like, why should I stick around and get my bits back to the environment? So Mm. attitude's really important. And I find my attitude about staying young, being young, living young is really important. And then the other part is the realization that we are all intercepting stronger and more powerful technologies every year. We're understanding the cellular genetics and mechanics and so forth. So as Ray Kurzweil would say, we're reaching longevity escape velocity. So every year we live longer, we gain the ability to live longer and it's Mm -hmm. living long enough to live forever. Mm -hmm. So it's how do you stay healthy for the next 10 years and 20 years during which time amazing advances are occurring in all these areas. So I know you've got three areas that you're working Mm -hmm. on. What are you doing, Dan? Because how old are you now? I'm 72. My birthday is the day before your birthday, so we move on to a new year. (laughs) Were you in the morning or uh, in the evening? I was 10.45 p.m. Eastern time on May 20th. Yeah, it's about a a day later. I was 9.30. 
But the on May nineteenth, yeah. yeah, on the nineteenth. But the different years, but <laughs> yeah, just three things to say about attitude. What I found is that what predisposes people to die is no friends for one thing you know they've run out of friends Hmm. second thing is they've run out of money if you run out of money you don't want to be around here and the third thing is no meaning you have no purpose or meaning so when you have no friends no money and no purpose you want to get out as quickly so i think that these are not medically related things but these are just general how you're doing in the world type of factors that predispose people either to live a long time or not live a long time. But my three, you know, as I've tried to organize my activities to reach the goal of 156, or number one is exercise, sleep, and nutrition. And lots of common sense knowledge about this. And one of the big things is muscle, just making sure that you maintain muscle and you maintain bone density. The muscle is so important because it affects almost every other aspect of your physical being, including your metabolism. There's a direct correlation between muscle mass and longevity. Yeah. Absolutely correct. So, for example, over the last year, since I was 71, I put on six pounds of muscle. And there's a special machine that we could just talk about a little later on doing this. But I've become really, really passionate about muscle building And six days out of seven, I'm working on some aspect of that. And then nutrition, which there's a lot of common sense information about that, and sleep. I snored. You know, I had low-level apnea, which is very, very destructive of your health. So I have a CPAP machine. I went to a sleep study. And I recommend everybody... You may not be the person that knows that you snore, but the person you're sleeping with can inform you about that. So let me just hammer these points because we talk about technology a lot, but these fundamentals of exercise, nutrition, and sleep is so core Mm -hmm. uh, right now. If you don't do that, you're missing out on the easy stuff. And I fully agree. I'm, I'm doing yoga and muscle exercise, rotating between that. I try and do it every other, you know, yoga on mm-hmm. every other day and muscle exercise every other day. And building muscle for me is one of my primary objectives, mm-hmm. yeah. weightlifting on that. Mm-hmm. I snore as well. I used to use a CPAP machine. What I'm using now, because I totally agree, a solid night's, you know, seven and a half or eight hour sleep is one of the most critical thing for clearing away waste out of your mitochondria in your brain. I use a mandibular adjustment. It's a little mouthpiece that I wear that juts my jaw forward a few centimeters mm-hmm. and um, also keeps me from grinding my teeth. Yeah. yeah. I highly recommend that people do a formal sleep clinic. I go to Canyon Ranch in Tucson, and so they have a sleep clinic there. And it was amazing because they video you, they wire you up to see what your body's doing. And then they have an audio sound, and then they get a readout the next day. And Peter, it was like watching stormy seas for four hours, and then they put the CPAP machine on, and it was absolutely smooth. So I saw the doctor afterwards, and he said, so what do you think? I said, you had me at hello. How much does it cost? You know. So I just purchased it. And I've had three and a half years of not once snoring at night for three and a half years with the CPAP machine. Yeah, great company, a friend of mine, yeah. Peter Farrell, ResMed. You know. Not everybody adjusts to it, and there's a lot of approaches, and yours is another approach. Yeah. The second area is the constant testing, and I'm very alert to any latest 
latest tests. And so when you and Craig Venter and Bob Herreri created Human Longevity, I was all there, you know, and fortunately you gave me first in line pass with Babs. And next week we actually have the full genome and we have all the information about the gut microbiome and so looking forward to this plus all the scans that we got earlier. And there was just a lot of new information that I had never seen before. And that's what I'm looking for. I remember you introduced me to Craig. We were at Richard Rossi's first event in Washington, D.C. And uh, I had a chance to talk to Craig Venter, who's world famous, of course, for being the inventor of the gene map. First person to sequence the human genome. Yeah, his own. (laughs) Yes, his own. And, you know, I asked him what his motivation was, and he said, well, I've got personal reasons because of what the map showed me that I'm working on. But he said the other thing is that he said, I've just met way too many people who died 20 years early because they found out about something 10 years too late. Yep. I don't want to be caught by surprise. So, uh, you know, I do complete blood testing with Tom Inkladon every 90 days. We get a two-hour consultation. Supplements are custom designed every 90 days. You know, and I look at that. So I have got great testing, testing mechanisms. And anything new I hear about, I'm all... I'm very, very quick. Babs is very, very quick to do it. And we, by the way, Babs's goal is 149 because she's seven years younger than I am. And so uh, we beam up together, you know, (laughs) we'll be standing on the platform and maybe a party the night before, but but maybe we've renegotiated and it's longer. So, and then the third thing is always having a future that's bigger than your past. And this is my big attitude. At 72, I have a much bigger future lying ahead of me right now. And as you know, I think in terms of 25-year blocks. So if I compare my future at 72 with my future at 42, it's incomparably bigger at 72 than it was 42. And this is, you have to kind of choose this. You have to work on this. This is like muscle building. Future is like a muscle and you have to work on your future. It's not given to you. I totally, totally agree. Yeah. When I think about the comment you made earlier about attitude, about having friends, having financial freedom, and having a purpose, purpose, for me, the purpose is one of the most important of that. And going along with purpose is a constant curiosity and a desire to learn new things and do new things and see the world in a new way as a dad of five-year-old twin boys. I mean, it's a resurgence. So if you're older in your life, having kids can be a way of sort of re-energizing that purpose and curiosity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or just taking on one of the world's biggest Mm -hmm. problems because we're more empowered as individuals to take on and solve problems and giving your life meaning and purpose. I mean, getting to a point where you're bored and you've seen it all and done it all, why would you want to live? Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you a question that I've really noticed, and this happened before I even noticed it was happening. I was 43 when I did it, so that was 29 years ago. And what I noticed around the mid-50s that I had naturally oriented to much younger people. Yeah. Our company, first of all, we've always had a huge batch of 20-year-olds. Even the company is 27 years old. But right from the beginning, I've always had a lot of 20-year-olds, and 
There's a lot of teenagers that we know who come to one of our programs, which is called the Unique Edge Program for 18 to 24-year-olds. And I'm very, very interested in how people in their teens, people in their 20s are looking at the world because their view of the world is just as legitimate as my view of the world. I grew up in the 50s and the 60s, and there was very definitely a way you looked at the world, but that was just because of your age and who you were hanging out with. So I think one of the things about friendship, you know, the first thing about mindset, having lots of friends, is keep going younger. Yeah. So, you know, I'm hanging out with people who are 50 years younger than me, and I'm just asking them, you know, what's it look like to you? How are you making sense of the world and everything like that? There's this rejuvenating thing, and of course, you've got the twins, so you're going to be having this discussion. You know, at a certain time, they've got to get their act together (laughs) to keep up with dad, you know. (laughs) I mean, I think you're absolutely right in the following. What I've seen people do and what I've heard people tell me and I wonder how this reflects from you. It's like when you ask a person how old you feel, typically you reflect the age of the person you're hanging out with. Mm-hmm. And if you tend to hang out with younger individuals, you're going to be more vibrant and excited and seeing the excitement. So I have a team of amazing millennials who work with me, Marissa, Cody, Max, Greg, Kelly, who are young 20s to 30. And I see the world through their Mm -hmm. eyes. They work with me across everything I do. And I remember being on a helicopter flight from New York to downtown Manhattan. I think it was with Cody and I was on my email and working and so forth. He goes, Peter, this is so amazing. Stop and pay attention. Holy shit. What are we doing here? This is crazy. And, you know, it was a private charter. And I was like, you're right. And I stopped. And and just so it's your ability to see the world in amazement and continually remind yourself of that because we become jaded as we get older because we've seen stuff. And so that level is really critically important. Peter, I was just going to ask you a question. I've been looking at a lot of brain science, neuroscience lately. Yeah. And there is a cutting down on the number of circuits that you use as you get older if you're not taking any countervailing activities. So I always say, you know, human beings, once you get to 30, nature's done with you because it doesn't really, you know, from a reproduction standpoint, if you haven't done it by 30, with some exceptions, of course, nature doesn't really have any use for you. So after 30, you're pretty well on your own. If you're going to make something of your life after 30, it's going to be your own efforts and your own intentionality that's actually going to do it. But I'm just wondering about you to the extent that your constant discovery and you're constantly linking up new things, whether you've ever reflected that this might be a strategy on your part just to keep all the circuits constantly growing and constantly expanding. So you're absolutely right. And let me hit on that from two points. One, for our listeners and viewers, the reason we age is the fact that we don't have children typically after the age of 35. So biologically as humans, after we've reproduced, put on our genes, the evolutionary selfish gene theorem has no reason to keep you alive. So your body degrades and you give your bits back to the environment. For most of the time that we were homo sapiens, Mm -hmm. this idea of your intelligence and culture and society had no value. It was simply you living long enough for your children to have children and then you'd give your bits back. If we as humans actually could have children till we're 200 or 300, then the people who live longest and had the most children would pass on the most genes and you'd have a growing lifespan, but that doesn't exist. 
I do think that there is something about keeping your mind hyperactive. And so the lifestyle I have is of constant curiosity. Mm -hmm. It's like when I hear something new, it's like forcing myself. So at Abundance 360 every year, it's okay, what is the subject I'm going to become an expert in this year Mm -hmm. so I can use it and teach it or a couple of different subjects. And in exponential technologies, I'm Mm -hmm. constantly, I'm seeing 20 new companies a month, you know, hundreds Mm -hmm. of new companies per year. And so that keeps me vibrant. And so I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my things that my wife, Kristen, took on as a challenge was master one new thing every year. Mm -hmm. So last year she said she wanted to become a sommelier and she took that on. So, you know, whatever your strategy is Mm -hmm. to keep life fresh in your mind and in your soul, I think that's really critically important. Well, this is the correspondence to muscle building. I mean, we have our physical muscles, but it seems to me we have our neuro muscles and it's the ability to create new connections and circuits in our brain that are fresh and above what we've naturally developed. In my case, I create a brand new workshop for people who are essentially ADD and if I don't give them something new every quarter, <laughs> I'm out of cash flow, you know. So I always go through this period about two or three weeks of being really, really scared as the next quarter is approaching. Will I come up with something good enough that they'll still be interested? And the other thing is I'm writing a small book every quarter, and I've committed to do that for 100 quarters. And again, there's a fear factor. There's a couple, two, three weeks. I says, you know, I don't think this is going to be as good as the last one. You know, I, I don't think I have it. And that fear is really important to me. Emotional energy. Yeah. Well, what I notice with a lot of people, and you probably see it too, Peter, just because of the lawn relationships that when people want to retire from fear, and it's a very interesting thing that I notice, you know, early in your career, you know fear is fuel for the tank and you use it as part of your motivation. But when people get really successful, you know, they become really established, they have social standing and everything else, I notice there's this decision on their part, I want a future that doesn't require any courage. And my feeling is that the moment you have the thought in your brain that I want a future that doesn't require any more courage, your body starts sending the parts back to the universe. That's the end of your life. You've essentially given yourself a death sentence to say, I don't want any more courage. Yeah, the old saying, do something scary every day. I think about that, right? So when I'm scared about having a conversation or I'm scared about putting myself in a risky situation or giving a keynote in a subject I've never done before, that fear means growth. Yes. And that's really important. So let me summarize and wrap up the session in the following way for everyone. Listen, we're living in the most extraordinary time ever, and it's a time you don't want to miss. I don't care if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80s, your objective is to live healthy enough over the next 20 years to intercept the incredible medical technologies coming down the pike. And to echo what you said, Dan, exercise, muscle mass, critically important. Sleep, cannot echo that strongly enough. We're all tempted to like, oh, I can get away on six hours or five and a half hours, bullshit. Eight hours of sleep, seven and a half hours of sleep, you know, there's something in there that we all need. And so I have reprioritized sleep very high on my scale and having quality sleep meaning not snoring, not having sleep apnea, nutrition, getting rid of junk, 
figuring out the diet that's right for you, taking the right supplements, all of those things are about keeping yourself in top physical health. And then the other side of what you said on the testing side, this is what we do with HLI's health nucleus or other opportunities, but making sure you're not intersecting heart disease, which kills you in your 60s or 70s, intersecting cancer, identifying it early and solving it in your 70s Mm -hmm. or 80s, and then neurologic disease in your 80s and 90s. And if you can do that, the next 20 years will take care of the rest of it. We're deciphering the human genetic code. We're learning how to marshal stem cells, stem cell revolution. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to give us all the ability to live a multi-hundred-year lifespan. Yeah. Yeah. Fundamental. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing that our generation, you know, and I'm talking probably about a 50-year section of the population are kind of the early map makers that are the early explorers in this, that these are the first people who push over 100 and you start mapping out what are the rules for living as excited at 105 as you were at five. Right. I think that we're the first generation in human history, and it goes back whatever number of years scientists say, but it's certainly in the hundreds of thousands of years of human development. And this is the first generation where this whole issue of longevity is negotiable. It is, and it's a rising tide for everybody. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll wrap it there, pal. Yeah. I love this subject. I hope those of you listening will shift your point of view. Mm-hmm. Right, My dad just recently passed away, and at his eulogy, my point was my father lived twice as long as his father, roughly. And it's incredible that we're in a time where we are able to live twice as long as our parents, and then that intercepts amazing technologies we haven't even dreamed of yet. And along that lines, what I'd love to do in our next session of Exponential Wisdom is maybe we can share some of the new evidence for abundance, Mm -hmm. right? There's new data coming out Mm -hmm. that should prove to people we're living in an extraordinary time, despite what CNN, the Crisis (laughs) News Network, tells us. Yes. You know, I'm seeing it all around, but what I'd like to contribute to that conversation is the mastery of the 6Ds framework that you have for looking at world news. So uh, more and more, I've internalized your original framework. And I'd like to add that to the discussion when we talk about abundance, because you cannot see this unless you have the right framework to actually see the evidence. Fantastic, pal. See you soon.